Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the debate. We are debating about Palestine and Israel. And of course, this is a very controversial, I understand, very sensitive for some people, but for some others, it's absolutely clear as daylight. Either way, we're still going to debate it tonight, inshallah. So join us. But let me ask a question to um, Wasif here. Very simple question. Could Palestinians ever prosecute British, American or European parliamentarians, politicians for aiding and abetting war crimes committed by Israel? Um, yes, in a, in a, in a word. Uh, it's a little bit harder for them to look at the United States because it's not a permanent member of the, or it's not a signed up signatory to the International Criminal Court. Um, so there is a number of states that are not part of it. If you recall the history of the International Criminal Court, it came about after another massacre um, following uh, Bosnia uh, and the crisis in Bosnia. Uh, genocide, I would say. Uh, the British, on the other hand, there may be another story because they are the only permanent member of the UN Security Council that are a signatory to it. Um, so, so Britain could be prosecuted? There's certainly scope to, to look at that. Because we've seen a letter circulated by an organization, I think it's called the International Center of uh, Justice for the Palestinians, yeah. that they're intending to take uh, both British government as well as any politicians who may have supported, aided and abetted this uh, war crime, at least an alleged war crime, perpetrated by the uh, Israeli forces. So we've seen that. So there is, there is a process. Absolutely, there is a process. There is, a, there is scope for them to have a look at dealing with it. But as with everything else, it's whether or not uh, we have a, more than just a bark. We need to have bite it's with regards to yeah. There has to be substance. So just us going through the form of what it is. Well, let's let's mean. find out more about this from the expert herself. Um, uh, her name is um, Ilora Chowdhury, and she is an in-house solicitor for the International Centre um, of Justice for the Palestinians. So what we've seen since the start of the hostilities on 7th of October are UK government officials such as the Prime Minister and the Foreign Secretary expressing unconditional and unequivocal support for Israel's actions in Gaza, despite clear evidence emerging that Israel has committed war crimes and crimes against humanity in Gaza, and that it's on the verge of committing even greater mass atrocity crimes. As ICJP, we wrote to the Prime Minister on Friday and we placed him on notice that since there's ongoing commission of war crimes, that if he and his cabinet continue to express unequivocal support for Israel, this could actually make them individually criminally liable. So um, under the Rome Statute, Article 25, individual criminal liability attaches not only to people who directly perpetrate crimes, but also those to, to those who aid or abet those crimes. And there is case law to suggest that moral support, encouragement, and so on, can amount to aiding and abetting war crimes. Now, this could mean that potentially Rishi Sunak and his cabinet members could face criminal prosecution, not only at the ICC, but also in domestic courts or other tribunals through the, through the principle of universal jurisdiction, which basically says that for the most serious crimes, individuals can be prosecuted anywhere in the world in any court. Because these crimes are so serious, they cannot claim immunity from prosecution. And also, I should point out that at the ICC, there is no immunity for prosecution for government officials. So even if you're a head of state, you can be prosecuted at the ICC. 
And the other thing that's important is that the ICC is currently investigating the situation in the state of Palestine. They opened the investigation in 2021 and any crimes committed on the territory of Palestine, which includes Gaza, can be investigated at the ICC. Um, the investigation is currently open. It's It seems to be uh, stalled at the moment. Like for the last year, we've been continuously trying to engage with the ICC and find out what's happening during the investigation. But um, the prosecutor has recently made a statement saying that they are going to be putting more resources into the investigation. Um, so we'll have to see what happens there. But this is this is fairly important. And I think that uh, public officials in this country, government officials who have been making these sorts of statements should be very cautious because they could face individual criminal liability for making those statements on the basis of aiding and abetting those crimes. I think it's it's extremely clear how they should be acting. I mean, it's not just the issue of individual criminal liability, but what we're seeing in Gaza at the moment is, is, is a humanitarian catastrophe. I mean, you know, for a week, the Gazan population have been under continual aerial bombardment. Um, they've been under a complete siege with no access to water, food, fuel. The hospitals are all running out of fuel. We've seen more than 2,000 people killed. We've seen, you know, around uh, 800 children already. No, actually, uh, more than 1,000 Palestinian children have now been killed. Uh, we've seen the use of white phosphorus in densely populated neighborhoods. Um, and, and now the latest is that, you know, Israel has issued an order to the half of the population of, of Gaza, basically everybody in the north of Gaza, including Gaza City, that's over a million people, have been ordered to move to the south. I mean, this is an impossible order. You know, it's 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 going to lead to a humanitarian catastrophe. And, you know, Palestinians just unable to leave because many of them are elderly and sick people in hospitals. They can't just get up and go. So what we're seeing is really a crisis of monumental proportions. I mean, unlike anything we've seen before. And many, many people are saying this is another Nakba, another ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. Mm -hmm. However, so, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying the international leaders need to be absolutely clear about what's happening. They need to be absolutely clear about calling this out for what it is. They need to they need to call out the international crimes that are taking place, not just war crimes, but crimes against humanity. I mean, this is part of the Israeli propaganda. They have so much support in the Western countries. Western leaders, including our own government and even leaders of the opposition, have continuously been providing Israel with political support and cover for their international crimes. And, you know, this, we believe this makes them individually complicit. And there is case law to suggest in the international criminal case law to suggest that encouraging and supporting war crimes and crimes against humanity can make you individually liable. And therefore, you can be prosecuted both at the international criminal court or in domestic courts or in other international tribunals. So, you know, I think not only on the basis of humanity and on the basis of the gross human rights violations that are going on right now in Gaza, but even just to protect their own, <laughs> to protect their own careers, British politicians, international politicians need to be very, very careful about what they're saying right now. They need to understand the seriousness and the gravity of the situation in Gaza, and they need to condemn, unconditionally condemn Israel's actions. So far, we've seen 12 Palestinian journalists killed by the Israeli military and more than 20 injured in the space of a week. 
which is a huge number by any standards. Um, two Palestinians are, are reportedly missing and 50 Palestinian media organizations have been damaged or destroyed as a result of airstrikes. Clear violation of international humanitarian law, which says that journalists are civilians and they have to be treated as such. And also journalists working on the front line in uh, situations of armed conflict have to be protected and allowed to do their job so that they can hold governments accountable and speak truth to power. I think what we're seeing is Israel deliberately targeting journalists in an attempt to prevent them from telling the truth about what's happening in Palestine. And unfortunately, this is nothing new. This is a pattern that we've been seeing for many years. Uh, last year, we uh, acted for the family of Shirin Abu Akleh and Shatta Hanaisa and Ali Samudi in relation to Shirin's killing in a Janin refugee camp in May uh, 2022. Um, we filed an ICC submission on her behalf. And unfortunately, we've had very little response from the International Criminal Court. Um, we need to keep the pressure up on governments and on international institutions to take action. They've got to take this seriously. Journalists are there to speak truth to power and to hold governments accountable. And if they're not protected, then we won't have the kind of information and the free press that the Western media is, is so, you know, that they talk about so much. I think one of the main things that we need to look out for at the moment is the violence that's happening in the West Bank. Um, there's been a, a huge spike in settler violence and uh, IDF violence against Palestinian civilians. Uh, at the moment, the media attention is really focused on Gaza and uh, Israeli settlers have been using this chaos to try to attack Palestinians in the West Bank. We have um, far-right ministers, such as the Minister for Nat National Security, Itzamar Ben-Gavir, who's been calling for Israeli settlers to be armed. Um, many of these settlers are entering uh, Palestinian areas and attacking Palestinian civilians. 51 have been killed so far in the space of a week, which is an enormous number. And more than 1,200 Palestinians have been injured, both by IDF and settler violence. So this is something that I think you need to keep an eye on because it's uh, while the attention is focused on Gaza, we also need to make sure that we don't forget what's happening in the West Bank. So that was I, Laura Chowdhury, ladies and gentlemen, the in-house lawyer for ICJP, that is International Centre of Justice for the Palestinians. It's pretty harrowing to watch the unfolding carnage right in front of your eyes. From the bombing of the hospitals, the dead bodies strewn all across the ground, babies, women, men, elderly, and seeing helplessness of people and feeling helpless from wherever we are isn't the most comfortable or, I don't know, harmonious for time for us at all. It is a very difficult time, I understand. It's, of course, been a long-term problem, 53 years if you start from 1967, and if you start from 1948, it's been 75 years. Palestinians have lived a life of dispossession for all that time. Occupation, they have been dehumanized, brutalized, terrorized. They've been beaten, shot, homes demolished, occupied, illegal settlements expanded in every direction you can think about. But most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, they've lost the very humanity that you and I take for granted. What life is it to be a Palestinian? And now we see Palestinians and their lives don't matter 
what matters is life of one side and the other side as if they don't exist. If that's the narrative, how do we change it? And how do we bring about long-term solutions? Solutions that can bring peace and stability, not just in that region, but across the world, and in particular, the Middle East. Let's start this discussion. Um, well, I've got my guests still. We've lost one, but we still have four. I'm very grateful to them. Oliver McTernan is still here. Dr. Anas Tikrit is still here. Wasif is still here. And Professor Bill Bowring is still here. I'm very grateful to you all for remaining with us. Let's talk about solutions. So you, you have about 20 minutes to solve this problem. And since um, Oliver McTernan is uh, a well-known um, conflict resolution expert and interfaith expert, let's go to you, Oliver. How do you solve this problem? What's the long-term solution? The only solution is an inclusive dialogue. And when I say inclusive, everyone has to be at the table, everyone with constituency. We had a great opportunity in 2006 when Hamas um, contested the election, won the election, had the right attitude of leading a government they wanted others to be part of, they wanted a sort of consensus government. What did we do? We rejected it. And I think that was a major lost opportunity. But needless to say, we still, I think, this decapitating Hamas has talked about is a total distraction. It can't happen. It's an integral part of the, the Palestinian people. Not all Palestinians agree with Hamas. That's healthy. There's a, a diversity in Gaza as, as in any other healthy society. So I think the, the future on the international level is to recognize the need to have an inclusive process. Look at all the failure in Ireland, and Bill will know this better than anyone, that every attempt to solve or put forward a, a, a nonviolent solution to the Northern Ireland issue failed because the main actors were excluded from the process. It was only when the Sinn Féin IRA were brought into the process, recognised that they were part of the solution, um, and if you were going to, to, to move forward, they had to be at the table contribute. I think it's exactly the same um, scenario we're facing now. So are you, suggesting, are you suggesting, Oliver, that... Uh international community should be talking to Hamas if they are... Of course, yes. I think they should be talking to all of the Palestinian people. But, but, but Britain but the, and America and the European Union are loudly saying Hamas is a proscribed organisation, is a terrorist organisation. How do you go it, about talking to a terrorist? It is a proscribed organisation in certain countries. And as um, Anas quite rightly pointed out, it is prescribed it politically. I remember when the head of the European Union about um, 12 years ago, I said the head of mission in, in Tel Aviv, he had his um, team research this, and it was they realized there was actually no real legal, in, in from the European perspective then, no legal reason why they should not engage. It was a political reason or a political decision, they said. Now, I think, you know, whether it's prescribed or not, the IRA 
uh, were blocked from speaking on on television. You know, we had images of Jerry Adam, but we couldn't hear his voice. You know, governments trying to look for quick solutions try to eliminate the voices they don't want to hear. It doesn't work. So that's what we have to. But it's not just a mass to be at the table. I think of all the independent people that have never been um, engaged in the process. You know, we've we've brought back returnees. We've placed them at the top of the system without any democratic recognition or process or endorsement to the people of Palestine. And that's the only authority we speak with. Okay. It's ridiculous. We're part of the international community is part <laughs> of the problem. It's about time now we get part of the solution, recognize the need to speak with everyone, listen to everyone, engage everyone, okay. and give people the right to shape their own future. It's not... Thank you. Uh, Professor Bowring, I know you wanted to come be. in. You've been itching to come in. Go for it, Professor Bowring. Yeah, I have a more direct point of view, actually, Please. with all due respect. So I, I would say I agree with Edward Said uh, that the two-state solution is absolutely dead. That Israel has killed it through the policy of apartheid in the occupied West Bank which is now carved up, uh, that there is no way. So there will have to be one state, as was the case in the Ottoman times, where the rights of all religious groups are protected. Now, is that just a fantasy? No, but it isn't. Wouldn't, wouldn't the Israelis say... Wouldn't is, the Israelis no, no, say... Give, give, give me a second, please. Okay. So uh, Israel is split down the middle. And before this current uh, abomination started, uh, actually, as we saw huge numbers of Israelis in the streets protesting against the anti-democratic policies of Netanyahu, um, I know many decent people in Israel, and the opposition should have won the last uh, election. So um, I don't think it's the Israeli government will stay the same, not by any means. Also... I looked at, uh, I've been quite a few times in Ramallah, and I've been in the Palestinian Authority. What a depressing place. They do nothing for their people. And I think Abu Mazen's time is up. Um, that is quite clear. And that's what this is the beginning. Hold on, hold on. Okay. So I, I think there has to be and will be a big change in the leadership, both on the Israeli side and Palestinian side. And then it's going to be a painful process, but everyone is going to have to live in this territory. That's where I agree with Oliver. Thank you. Well, let's let's go to Anas. Sorry. Anas, <laughs> there, are, there, are, there is a suggestion that there should be two states. There is a suggestion there should be one state. Um, which one do you support? One state or two state? Listen, I'm going to. I'm I'm not going to pose here as a politician or a political analyst. I'm going to pose here as a human being. The fact of the matter is that since 1948, the Palestinians have. Um, have had their land stolen, have had their humanity confiscated, have had their lives robbed from them. The fact of the matter is, in my estimation, and please, uh, you know, for those of you who disagree, please, please do say so. And I do apologize beforehand for putting anyone in the spot. Israel, in my estimation, and according to what I understand of international law, but more importantly, of human law, humane law, Israel is an illegal state. It's an illegal state. Christians, Jews, and Muslims lived on that piece of land for centuries, for centuries, side by side, 
Nothing separated them. The thing that occurred in the past 100 years is occupation, is occupation, is the creation of an entity that reduced the inhabit the natives into second-class minorities. That is something that we must recognize. Plus, so, so what's we the, continue, what, what are we you supporting? Can, One state or two state? My what, question what, was quite simple. Uh, let's see, let, let me come to the two-state thing. The only party that hasn't spoken or hasn't acknowledged two-state or the two-state solution, which we have been in the West parroting about now for decades, the only party that has never acknowledged the two-state solution is Israel. And therefore, our continuously wasting time, time that Israel wants us to waste, talking on an impossibility is something which I believe wastes more lives, creates a longer line of, of tragedies and, and, and the such. And therefore, in, me, in my estimation, the only way where you can, let's just say, I'm just going to give a very unfair hypothetical and make equate between the Palestinian Israelis like two bickering neighbors. Okay, and we're not talking about equal partners, but let's assume we're talking about two equal, uh, two bickering neighbors. The only way to resolve the issue is to resolve the issue. And the issue at the very heart of this is the issue of occupation End occupation. And then you can come up with a litany of scenarios whereby people can live side by side. But as long as... So what does it, as what does it mean what to, are, what does it mean to end occupation? Up to what date? Are you talking about occupation from 1948? Or are you talking about occupation from 1967? Which one are you talking about? Uh, well, listen, I'm talking about... Uh, listen, if we, if, we, if we are here, uh, if we are in agreement that occupation is wrong, it's inhumane, it's against international law, then occupation is wrong. So, so as no, long what, as there is occupation, go back to that. No, but, but by, default, by default, you are actually calling for dismantling of State of Israel because State of Israel came to being see, by occupying, now, hold on, occupying Palestinian land. So if you're talking about ending total occupation, you have to go back to 1948, which means dismantle Israel. Well, listen, uh, Ajman, the thing is, with all due respect, now you have fallen victim of the, the kind of Western colonial trap Oh, you want to throw the Jews in the sea. You want to eliminate the, the Jews from Israel. You want to dismantle. You want to... All these words are meaningless. The fact of the matter is, I want Palestine how it was with Christians, Muslims, Jews living side by side, being free to worship, free to exercise their, their rights, free to express their, their views, political and otherwise. The, however it seems, however it looks, that is the only you, way it, where it, we it can sounds, have Anas, it sounds like you, you support one state solution from what you're suggesting. Yeah. Because the reality is, you can't get rid of the Jewish communities from Palestine. The reality is you can't get rid of the Palestinians. I don't, I, I don't Hold want on. to get rid you, of the You can't Jewish get rid of the Palestinians from Palestine. The only way they can live together is by living together in a harmonious and a peaceful way. And that... In a one-democratic uh, Palestine. Yes, yeah, so you're talking about one-state solution then, aren't you? Absolutely. You okay, well, then, then we have, we have two votes for one-state solution amongst my panellists here. Let me see what Wasif says. Wasif, who do you support? One state or two states? I think I'm going to go with Anas on this one. Okay, go for it. <laughs> I think one of the most important things that we have to take into consideration here is agency. Agency works when you actually have a voice that counts, where you have a voice that can be heard. Right now we are in a situation where one party has described the other as animals. 
we this is you know we when we talk about conflict resolution this is like radio rwanda when the hutus and the tutsis were being described as cockroaches or one was describing one group as the cockroaches you dehumanize that person you take away that humanity you therefore are able to slaughter them, slaughter them mm. effectively i mean the slave which trade is, which is probably why yeah. slaughtering of ghazans has become acceptable that's the point and i think this is this is how you build because you have to build from somewhere right um you know the slave trade the black man does not have a soul so therefore it's okay we can kill him it's all right that's what the that's what the premise was okay uh, apart from the economic benefits of everything else that came with it or many other benefits <laughs> yes. for sure the white people but, had but with the, the black slaves but with the but with the palestinian issue i mean and this is a center periphery argument as well because everyone has to take stock we here in the uk have to also consider well okay we're in the periphery over here but we have a very close connection why does palestine matter palestine circulates because it resonates that's the thing everyone sees a situation of themselves where their struggles were in that struggle being played out that's why nelson mandela says what he says in relation to well current president has said the absolutely. same thing of south africa absolutely and so those particular issues so when i'm talking about the uk for example because we're here sitting in the uk finally now zelensky doesn't say that Well, about the Palestinians, though that, he has been the, championing the war this, for the right of the Ukrainians to fight back, well, but so, he says no to Palestinians fighting back. Yeah, as you as you say, all countries are equal, but some are more equal than others, perhaps. But the point of the matter here is that what we're saying about Palestine and the people in Britain is our choice of what we have. You know, it's like the Model T Ford. You can have any color as long as it's black. That's our political choice right now as Muslims. Who is it that's actually? positioning our voice to be able to then say something to make a difference within that debate within Palestine itself. Okay. Well, let's go These to let's go to um uh, Oliver. Oliver, you suggested two state solutions and your fellow no, panel I, I I'm going to correct that. Go I believe very much in the agency of the people. It's not for I think the uh, me to say what the future should be i think that's a choice that the palestinian people the majority whether they opt for the two state or the one one state what i would say from observation and particularly looking at the um challenges the 20% of palestinians face living within the state of israel i would think that there is need for a period when the present west bank and gaza the palestinians that occupied palestine territories the people of that should in for my observation i think should have a period where they have their own agency where they can make their own decisions where they can first of all start living as a people with their own destiny their own aspirations now once that happens i think then you may see it evolving into whether it's a confederation or whatever of of the the states and and eventually may come into one state but i think you do need a period where palestinians living in the occupied territories need to be able to determine their own future have it, their own say and and just be able to be themselves isn't it easier uh, uh, oliver isn't it easier as a as a negotiator as a conflict resolution expert for you or anybody else for that matter to propose okay let's do a referendum of the palestinian people let's ask the palestinian people what they want and give them three choices you have your own state and that is two states 
side by side with Israel, you have one state for all, everyone lives together happily ever after by democratic choice, or the third, go and join another country, move to Jordan, go, move to Syria, or go to Sinai deserts, or something to that effect, vacate Palestine completely and give it to the Israelis. What, shouldn't that be the, shouldn't that be the most civilized well, thing to do? On, we uh, did that with South Sudan only recently. Angel, you know no Palestinian would vote to move to uh, anywhere else but their own land and their own house and their own, you know, where they're rooted in their tradition. And the, the, that's the resilience of that position has kept them with a sense of identity. Uh, what I marvel at, and particularly the people of Gaza, the extraordinary resilience they have. I think any other nation I know or peoples I know would have just buckled under. They wouldn't have survived. So, but answer but, the substantial um, question, which is, shall we not give the Palestinians a, a, a referendum like we did with South Sudan? Let them decide their own future. Yeah, well, you know, sadly, it's... it's if if they decide they want to be one state, there, then there is another part that has to decide the same if it's going to become a reality. And then it'll take, my fear, another 50, 60 years to work out the relationships between it. Uh, it, it it's an opinion. It's an observation. It's by no means, I'm putting it for, I don't think we should talk uh, the word solution. At present, we should talk about options. And that, um, but there is no solution okay. um, immediately. There are plenty of options that can help humanize the current situation. Well, thank you very much, Oliver. I want to go to Anas. Anas, um, let's move away from long-term solution. I will also come to you, Professor Bauer, and just give me one minute, please. I'll come to you and you'll have your say in just a minute. I just want to talk about the regional conflict, potentially. Why is Saudi Arabia silent? Why is... Um, um, UAE and Qatar and other countries in the neighboring region silent. Why have we seen Iran not playing its, in quote, unquote, extremist uh, card as they do all the time during the conflict? Why is Hezbollah silent? What's going on? I can understand why Egypt is silent. I understand that. But I don't understand why the remaining countries in the Gulf are silent. And as very briefly. Very briefly, we have a very complicated geopolitical scene, especially in light of the war in, uh, in Ukraine and the fact that uh, the Middle East is no longer, um, you know, the kind of area that we could read fairly easily in the past. Now it's, uh, it's extremely complicated, whether it be the internal fighting, but quite vicious fighting between Saudi Arabia and the UAE, whether it be the normalization process that is seen to be an anti-Iran uh, uh, project, whether it be in, in the fact that, um, you know, certain regimes are trying to bide whether to stand with the USA and, and therefore with Ukraine, or to maybe hedge their, their, their bets with, with Russia and Putin. So it's a very, very complicated scene, but more so the fact that these regimes, the vast majority of which, have absolutely no legitimacy with their own people, with their own nations, and therefore they have no say in what happens. On one hand, they're afraid of abetting or appeasing their own people and therefore uh, 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 displaying their affinity with the Palestinians because that might cost them. And at the same time, they're also afraid of going against what their people want and therefore being totally isolated from, the, from their own context. Or, or, it's or, a very, very complicated thing. Or, or could it be America has put a gun to their head? But let's ask Professor Barron that question. 
question. Professor Bowring, why are the Middle Eastern countries so silent? And why are they not doing anything about what's going on in Palestine? Well, I mean, I can answer that. But first of all, I must go back to what uh, my friend Anas was saying when he said that Israel is an illegal state. But the only legal state I can think of is the Republic of Ireland. Britain is one of the most illegal states there is. Because Britain is based on bloodshed for centuries in Ireland, slavery, and the empire. So Britain is totally illegal. The United States is based on exterminating the indigenous population and on slavery. So the United States is illegal. Russia is illegal because of its empire. So I think Israel is in company of practically every state in the world except for Ireland. So I think describing Israel as an illegal state gets us nowhere. Actually, absolutely nowhere, and holds us up from trying to very quickly, in answer to your uh, question, I think it's so interesting that Putin finds himself in a total bind. You know, because having been so cozy with Netanyahu and Israel, he's getting weapons from Iran, um, and Russia is providing the air power for Hezbollah, keeping Assad in power in Syria. So Russia is now in the worst of all possible worlds uh, and trying to find Russia really does not, does not know what to do in the present circumstance. And why has the Americans got two carrier groups? That is to scare Iran. Of course it is. I mean, what uh, the Americans want to do, their big enemy is Iran in the area. Russia's big friend is Iran. So I would say that is why the Americans have got two carrier groups and why the Arab street is out in force everywhere. But the Arab governments, you know, Jordan, by the way, the Israelis say Jordan is already Palestine because the majority of the population are Palestinian refugees. And who's the king of Jordan? He's a British proxy. You know? okay, well, look, before so, we open up a, a war yeah. in, the, in that region with our oh, lives... I have to go very uh, soon, let, way, let, so. let, let, Yes, that's fine. Let me just go around very quickly. So, Wasif, if you can give just one minute, or uh, less than one minute of summary of what you see as the future, or what future holds for Israel-Palestine. Very, very briefly, please. I think that the future holds for Palestine a continued resistance until it is free. I think that is one of the fundamental points that we make on rallies and talks and everything else. This needs to be agency given to a set of people that have been denied it. Uh, there needs to be a form of truth and reconciliation once this takes place. And that truth and reconciliation has to include all that they have suffered um, and be compensated for it as well. This okay. isn't just about that. Right, uh, Professor Bowring, I know you need to go, so I'm going to give you the next uh, summary uh, a statement. So please, very briefly, 30 seconds. What's your summary? 30 seconds. Both Israelis and Palestinians need a new leadership, absolutely. And I think there is a prospect of them getting one, by the way, because I think Netanyahu is dead in the water. And I think Abu Mazen is dead in the water. Um, actually, I think that is the only way forward. Thank you. It's new elections, new elections and new leadership. I got it. Thank you. Let's go to Anasit Tikriti. 30 seconds for you to summarize. I think that the Palestinians have made their mind up, regardless of who you speak to, whether Christian or Muslim, whether Hamas or Fatah or, you know, the, the, the Popular Front, 
they've all decided that this can't go on. And uh, therefore, we're going to see the same on behalf of the Palestinians. And unfortunately, we will continue to see the same on behalf of the Israelis. The decision that needs to be made is ours. As people who live in a country that proclaims democracy and human rights and justice, and as people who claim that we are bastions of international law, okay. we need to make our minds up. Thank you. And uh, uh, Oliver, what's your what's your thirty seconds uh, work? Very much endorse Bill. New leadership essential for the way forward, and a leadership with a vision of the future that puts people first and not their own interests. Thank you. To finish off, ladies and gentlemen, humanitarian crisis we have seen unfold right in front of us like we've never seen before. We've seen political diplomatic efforts fail colossally like never before. We have seen international communities failure like never before. We've seen media and public relations failure like never before. We have seen the root causes not addressed like never before. We have not seen any long-term solutions, so there has been a failure in terms of looking for a long-term solution. International law, human rights law, failure. Failure in every front. It looks like there is only one way forward and that is to continue struggling for the freedom of Palestinian people and implementation of international law and human rights law universally and across the board. Until next time, from myself and my team and my panelists, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.